With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Session Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. This week on the podcast, we bring you all the business stats, figures, and data, and a story on toilet paper. We have the latest inflation figures that might reveal changes in shopping habits, we have shipping data, which gives us an insight into China's exports and imports, and we have new figures on one aspect of China's foreign investments abroad. So, with all the latest business news and even a story about toilet paper thrown in for good measure, here's what's been happening in China this week. Foreign companies could see more investment from China flowing their way. China has allocated more than $9 billion of quotas to domestic trust companies in the Qualified Domestic Institutional Investors Program as the country encourages domestic institutions to pour more money into foreign capital markets. As of November 30th, the State Administration of Foreign Exchange, SAFE, allocated quotas to 24 trust companies, among which five received a quota for the first time. The annual total quota in 2020 would represent a 10% expansion of the Qualified Domestic Institutional Investor Program. China saw its first decline in prices for everyday consumer goods in five years. The Consumer Price Index, or CPI, which measures changes in prices of a select basket of consumer goods and services, fell by 0.5% year-over-year in November, Compared to a 0.5% increase the previous month, official data showed Wednesday. The trend may have been fueled by the growing move toward online shopping, according to a report by consulting firm Bain & Company Incorporated, published before the official figures. The core CPI figure, however, which excludes more volatile food and energy prices and may better reflect long-term inflation trends, was up by 0.5% year-on-year last month. European global credit rating giant Experian reversed its month-old plan to exit the Chinese mainland after the government vowed to promote the development of the country's massive but tightly held personal credit scoring sector. Booming consumer lending in China over the past few years has generated large unmet demand for financial services, especially in the consumer and corporate credit sectors. 
but the country has yet to allow foreign companies to conduct credit scoring services for individuals. COVID-19 cases have surged in Hong Kong, leading the city to implement some of its strictest social distancing measures since the pandemic began, cutting off in-person dining at restaurants after 6 p.m. and closing gyms and beauty salons. Chief Executive Carrie Lam said she had, quote, no choice, end quote, adding that new restrictions will take effect Thursday, December 10th, and will last 14 days. In recent days, the city of approximately 7.5 million people has seen daily new cases, often exceeding 100. Beijing has officially approved a municipal regulation on traditional Chinese medicine. However, it dropped the controversial sections that would have made defaming traditional Chinese medicine a crime. The removal of these clauses came after the draft regulation drew sharp criticism while open for public consultation, with legal experts arguing the capital city was exceeding its authority in criminalizing criticism of TCM. Wang Xixin, a law professor at the city's Peking University, told Xixin that the exclusion of the controversial section demonstrated the role of public opinion in shaping policy. Data from shipping container tracking service provider Container Exchange has served to illustrate China's export dominance during the global pandemic. Figures indicate that ports in Shanghai for the week ending October 22nd faced a shortage of 40-foot containers not seen since January 2019. The shortage in containers comes as China's exports have risen in recent months, causing containers to leave the country, but imports to the world's second-largest economy have remained sluggish as manufacturing outside China is still adversely affected by the pandemic. And finally, a public restroom in South China that installed a toilet paper dispenser equipped with facial recognition technology has removed the device after public backlash, possibly demonstrating the public's general unease with facial recognition technology. The high-tech lavatory in the city of Dongguan used a machine that scanned and analyzed people's faces before providing them with a prescribed amount of TP. Authorities claimed that the technology reduced waste, but many users said it was just an invasion of privacy. The company said it did not own the data, upload it to the cloud, or hand it over to any third party. Let's turn now to Tyson Global's managing editor, Doug Young. Welcome back to you, Doug. So it seems there's a lot going on with the U.S.-China relationship that directly impacts the markets, including the indexes, uh, some quite dramatic developments. Uh, Doug, tell us what's going on. Right, Kaiser. Uh, today, I wanted to zoom in on uh, two things. You're right. Uh, and they're both involving stock markets, uh, China and the U.S. stock markets. Um, just as a bit of quick background there, uh, China you know, makes big big advantage or take, takes big advantage of uh, U.S. And, and Western financial markets. Uh, they're a big place for them to raise money. A lot of Chinese companies are listed in the U.S. and, and so forth. Uh, so this has suddenly become a bit of a bone of contention, you know, that uh, China doesn't play by the global rules. Why should they have access to the global financial markets? And Donald Trump's administration is really ratcheting up the pressure in this regard. So the the first story that you were talking about is is all about indexes. And specifically, the thing that happened this past week was 
the FTSE, uh, FTSE, which they're a big index compiler based in the UK, uh, essentially kicked out eight Chinese companies from one of its uh, emerging markets indexes. And they basically had to do that uh, based on something the US did, which is the US essentially said they put together this blacklist of 35 companies, I think is what it's up to now, that essentially are US investors are, are banned from buying the stocks. And a lot of these are, most of these are China listed companies. Uh, but they happen, eight of them happen to be in, in the FTSE's indexes. Uh, so FTSE basically said, well, if US investors can't buy these stocks, that's a pretty big group of people uh, that can't buy these stocks now. Uh, you know, maybe these aren't suitable for inclusion in, in such an important index. And so FTSE basically cut them out, uh, which, you know, is a pretty big blow to these companies' stocks because indexes, when you get included in an index, lots of uh, people who invest based on those indexes will buy those stocks. So if it's no longer in the index, these eight Chinese stocks are going to sort of, you know, they could languish a bit. Um, and then there also could be a bit of a ripple effect because other index compilers like MSCI uh, are, are saying, you know, they're studying the situation too. And it's quite possible we could see other index providers, you know, take similar measures and, and cut these eight or, or, you know, possibly more stocks from their own indexes. We should note that those companies were blacklisted for alleged links to the Chinese military. Uh, but the U.S. isn't just taking aim at these companies. Uh, there's a bill, I, I don't know where it is, uh, in, in the House of Representatives that would actually delist Chinese companies. Doug, can you talk about that? Right. That's the second story. And, and yes, thank you for adding that uh, these companies were blacklisted due to their alleged military ties uh, I don't think I said that in the uh, initial. But that, yes, the second one is actually probably even more significant, which is something that's been going on for a while. Uh, the U.S. Senate, I believe, uh, earlier this year passed legislation and the House finally passed similar legislation, which has to happen in the U.S. before the president can sign it into law. And in this case, the legislation is basically saying any Chinese company that doesn't make its its uh, auditing papers available to the U.S. regulator, you know, uh, inspection regulator for three consecutive years will get kicked off an American exchange. So if you're a Chinese company and you're listed in the U.S., and there, there are quite a few big ones, uh, Alibaba, Baidu uh, being two of the biggest. There's also NetEase. You know, these are – Alibaba is obviously the biggest. I think that's got like a – $700 billion market cap. Um, if these companies, if the U.S. auditor uh, wants to see these companies' auditing books uh, and they say no, which they've done in the past, they, they've, they've always said no in the past because they say it's a sovereignty issue. Um, and if they say no for three consecutive years, then the U.S. has the right to kick them off. And what's interesting about this story, really, a lot of people don't realize they, they see it as anti-China, and in some ways it is. But in some ways, the U.S. is basically just calling for Chinese companies to have the same level of accountability as every other company. Any U.S. company, 
is is required to make its its auditing papers available to you know the regulator if they want to see it, and this this is all you know designed to prevent fraud. Uh, and likewise, other foreign companies that are listed in the U.S. are also required to follow this this rule. They have to you know show their auditing papers if if requested. But for whatever reason, China was always sort of like, oh, they they didn't have to do it. Uh, and they they basically refused to do it, and the U.S. didn't ever take any action against them. So, what's happening now is the U.S. is is sort of finally putting its foot down and says, you know, if China wants to access our capital markets, they want to put Nasdaq or NYSE on their brand, then they got to play by the same rules as everybody else. And you know, of course, China isn't too happy about it, but you know, I I, I honestly don't see it. As as a huge deal, requiring somebody to follow the rules that everybody else has to follow. So, j- just for those of our listeners who weren't around during the, the first big wave of Chinese listings, um, why did so many Chinese companies look to U.S. capital markets rather than listing on the Shenzhen or Shanghai markets in, in the first place? Well, that's a, a good question. I mean, it really dates back almost. Twenty years uh, when Chinese companies started listing in the U.S. Uh, around the turn of the millennium, um, and and basically it used to be very difficult for, especially for private companies, to list in China at all. Uh, there was a big uh, bias towards big state-owned enterprises in China, and there was also just a big backlog. So it was very difficult for a lot of these internet companies and venture capital-funded companies to uh, list in China. So a lot of them would go to the U.S. And then I think as time went on too, uh, you know, they realized there's a, a lot of advantages to being listed globally. It's it's certainly more prestigious than being listed in China. You can access a lot better capital markets, uh, you know, because you can basically, being listed in New York, you can pretty much access any global investor's money. So you have that as well. So and then and then the other thing is that U.S. markets also do tend to be a bit more professional. There's not a lot of shenanigans that go on. So it's you know it's it's a much more mature place and a, a good place to be listed. Um, and and I think that's why a lot of companies went there. In just a little over five weeks, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, uh, we'll have a new president in the White House. Is any of this likely to change uh, once Joe Biden becomes president? Well, this is something everybody's been talking about. Will Biden, you know, uh, roll back a lot of the China stuff? Um, people seem to think that this will be very low on his priority list because he doesn't want to be seen as being soft on China. Uh, I don't think he'll take a lot of additional steps. But and and in this case, the the law that we just talked about is probably going to be signed into law by Trump anyhow. So a president can't just say, "I'm." Um, Going to repeal this law that the that's the you know the realm of the the legislature, which in this case is the House and the Senate. Only they can actually repeal a law like that. So there's not much that Biden can do. And again, I think with this law, I think a lot of people feel like it's it's sort of appropriate and it's been a long time coming. So I don't see anything happening there. But you know, in terms of other aggressive actions, blacklisting Chinese companies and stuff, we. We could see less of that under Biden. Well, thanks, Doug, for bringing us up to speed on this stuff. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. 
The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. For more on China, be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SubChina. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for our daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.